Hi everybody, today I have Ross Linnett with me from Recite Me. Hi Ross. Hello, hi Catherine, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, how are you? Yeah, good, it's Monday morning and I feel I feel pretty awake. The sun really? is that's, that's very, very, oh, it's raining here. So, so send the sunshine to us, send the sunshine to us. Anyway, uh, so Ross is going to be joining me about talking about accessing insurance, amongst some other things. Uh, so Ross created Recite Me as a way to help himself and others uh, that are living with dyslexia and are having other possible communication barriers um, just to try and uh, say build this accessibility and language software that you use, this toolbar that can be integrated into a website and, and really, really can do some really incredible things. Um, I, I do play about with this. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So this yeah. is the Practical Protection Podcast. So Ross, how are you doing? What's the latest with you? I know obviously you've said you've got lovely sunshine today, which is incredible, but uh, how are things? Yeah, really good. I'm, I'm, the latest with me is I'm, I'm one of those classic people in lockdown that I've just I've moved house because of lockdown. <laughs> I bought I bought near the coast, you know, because oh, during lockdown when you couldn't visit like internally, you couldn't go inside anywhere. I was always going to the sea. Oh, so, uh, and I'm a surfer. You can probably tell. I kind of I've got the cliche look, you know. I used to live in California, by the way. Oh, right, so, nice. The latest thing with me is I've moved house and I was not prepared for all the work you have to do when you move in. <laughs> so, it's incredible, isn't it, the amount of work? We live by the, the coast as well. It is, it's just wonderful to be able to, to just go for a quick walk to the beach. It's, it is lovely. But yeah, it's, it's been a long time since I moved house now. We moved into our home, I think it was seven years ago. And uh, yeah, it is incredible the amount of things that you have to coordinate. And, and I really have hats off to anybody who's doing it in lockdown as well, because I imagine that's kind of a logistical nightmare as well, trying to get everything moved. And especially if you're moving in a, a good distance as well, trying to get it all yeah, sorted with everybody and distancing and stuff. It's, it's a logistical nightmare. And because of like the grayness of, of what kind of lockdown tiers actually mean in practicality, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, you know, workmen can come in your house, yeah. but a friend can't really come in your house for socializing yeah. but if this friend was assessing your house and giving you recommendations on how you develop the house interior designer to... yeah yeah interior <laughs> designer who was a friend who i grew up with yeah um and i am it, how does that work is that you know it's, it's, absolutely it's interesting times right very interesting times it is. I was going to say, I do apologize if there's any noise. I'll try and edit it out if it happens, but I'm actually having a loft conversion done at the moment. Um, so I do have three builders here at the moment who are currently installing I'm gonna, stairs. I'm going to have to refrain from asking you loft questions. <laughs> and the friend I'm talking about in particular as well, and a friend who converted his loft, who has a house almost identical to mine and he's moved the truss. So, oh. right, so keep on accessibility, Ross. Quite okay. <laughs> Yeah. We'll do that afterwards. Quick chat afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say, don't do it in rain season, which I know is very tricky to try and target um, <laughs> in England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last time it wasn't rain season was 1979. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I've never lived without rain. It feels like it's the start of a film or something, that kind of a yeah. line. <laughs> anyway, so each week we do have a truth or lie feature on the podcast. And last time I was speaking with Simone Kiriaku from um, the Financial Advisor, and she had said that her childhood crush celebrity crush was right. mac owen from take that and i said that mine was johnny depp so we're going to say who do you think was telling the truth i'm going to say yours was johnny depp 
it was Johnny Depp. I don't think somebody actually had anybody. That's all I could think of. But yeah, mine was well and truly Johnny Depp. And uh, I have to say, I think we had peak Johnny Depp at Pirates of the Caribbean, I have to say. But uh, anyway, um, a lot of our listeners are going to be working within the insurance industry. And I have to say something that kind of like really stands out for me is, um, and I have been doing like a little bit of research on this as well, is about... We talk a lot about insurance, about access to insurance. So, so people, in a sense, getting insurance, you know, somebody who's living with HIV, someone who's had a heart attack, that kind of a situation. But it kind of feels like we've completely bypassed and jumped past that very initial aspect of the communication, which is just even getting to the stage where somebody can even come and talk about the insurance, can even understand what we're trying to talk about. So can you tell me a bit more about you and recite me and how it all started? How it all started? Well, I was one of those people that uh, slipped through the net. I'm known as what is a highly compensating dyslexic, or some people will call it mild. So it's kind of hard to catch with me. And I I didn't get diagnosed until I was um, 22. And I'd actually graduated from university at the time, which is like, I could have had a free laptop every year oh. that's what most disappointed about forget the fact that i could have had better grades i could have had okay. <laughs> yeah, um and i think because i was diagnosed at an older age you kind of i think you question the world more as you get older you know you don't just take what's given in front of you yeah and i was in like a, a strangely unique situation where i was president of the student union when i was diagnosed so i had graduated but i was still within the university environment uh, and we were working with the um, the, the government centrally at the time on the Disability Discrimination Act when it right. first came out. And the whole ethos of the Disability Discrimination Act was the, the shift in onus and responsibility was away from the person yeah. and onto the organisation across all disabilities. Yeah. So, you know, if you had a restaurant, you know, it become your legal requirement to allow the person to get into your um restaurant if the person was in a wheelchair or had physical yeah. disabilities of being able to do it and um, the government put out a lot of money so the shift in ethos at the time was to that it's like as an organization you have to make the adjustment don't rely on the person to have specialist equipment or things like that yeah um and when i was diagnosed i got software to install on my computer and that read the website out aloud uh, changed the background color which is two things that really affect how how much i read yeah. how long I'll read for, which is, a, I think it's an important thing for insurance. Yes. Um, and it changed my world. And I didn't realize how much I was kind of held back by dyslexia until I got something that changed that. Yeah. But then I went to work and I was back to square one because the software was installed on a computer back home. Mm. Then I went to a library where you've got no ability to install any software. Uh, particularly you didn't at the time. I don't know if technology's changed. But um, I, those computers would never be accessible for me. For, yeah. And that's when I realized that all these functions that I should have on a website, you know, it, the, the source of the information, as in the website owners, should be providing these functions within the website. So if I go to an insurance website, I should be able to select the colors. I should be able to have the website speak to us. And it does kind of fit in with, it doesn't, doesn't kind of, it does, it is exactly what the legislation is dictating. So that's how I was diagnosed and that's how I've come up with the idea and that's how I started off the technology. 
Brilliant. I mean, I was, I was going to say it's it's interesting, and I think a lot of people listening probably wouldn't realise because obviously we, we know about things like the Disability Discrimination Act and and different things, but we don't all know the absolute ins and outs of it. We know it's there. We know that it's helping people, but I don't think we necessarily understand fully how much that onus is upon us as organisations and as you know people who are just. There's so many people trying to do the right thing. And I think sometimes we just don't know, in a sense, what we can do to do that next right thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it really sounds like there is a, that complete onus on people if they do have a website, that it is up to them to make sure that that they have that kind of facility in there to make it accessible to people. And, and I think we do kind of assume sometimes that people would have softwares like this so maybe somebody who um doesn't have use of their arms or something or is dyslexic or maybe english isn't the first language that they would have something already because you know they're bound to be facing this barrier everywhere so surely they must have found something themselves to stop this barrier and obviously not everyone can and not everyone can even possibly afford this kind of software that they would maybe need and, and not saying specifically recite me obviously but you know to do with maybe personal options I, I don't even know what personal options are out there to be honest is there other kind of personal options that people can have yeah you, you can buy software that you can install on your computer and a lot of them are a lot, a lot of them is good but i don't know about you but um when i'm carrying a bag around it's heavy because i've got my tablet yeah i've got my pc i've got me yeah. my phone in you know, and that means you'd often got to buy separate bits of software for each one of those devices. Yeah. Sometimes it's not the same company, so it's piecemeal. So one thing will work great on one machine, but then yeah. the feature won't travel to an Android device. Yes. So that's why kind of dyslexia in particular is called, it's called like the hidden, the hidden yeah. disability because nobody knows, nobody kind of like really thinks about it in the same way. And if it were just to change the conversation in, in, most people sus suspect that somebody with dyslexia will buy the software themselves mm. or allow them to access what a company's providing. Yeah. But imagine if we were still thinking like that for wheelchair users. Absolutely. Like, oh, they'll, 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 find, they'll buy some sort of specialist chair that'll allow them to get up the steps. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just, it just sees how the comparison's different with this type of disability compared to something that's more visual. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 no, I completely appreciate that. I mean, you, you won't know this about me, some of your listeners will. I have um, hidden health conditions as well. So I, I, not in the same way as uh, dyslexia, um, but I have things which can physically make things more difficult for me. And, you know, right. it, it does really affect you as well. You know, you, you, you kind of, you know, it, it, it kind of gets to you on the inside. You know, it really gets to your core if you do try and go somewhere and you try, try and engage an organization and they are doing something which, you know, maybe does present a kind of a barrier. And immediately you kind of just sort of like set yourself up for life, don't you, to just go, well, I'm never using your services or products because, you know, yeah. if, you, if you can't care about enough about me to just make this tiny little adaptation, yeah. then to make it easier for me, then why on earth would I ever give you my custom? And I think it's really um, important that people think about that as well as, as and I think it's I do think it's hard sometimes for people if they've not had somebody close to them themselves or somebody close to them it's really hard to understand just how much it can really affect you if you do have that barrier do, do you know the 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 saddest statistic I heard with regards to um dyslexia in particular because you know um we cover a lot of different things and I just need to put out there as well as well as me being dyslexic there's a genetic eye condition in my family called lords Okay. And if you have the gene variant, you go blind roughly around about 60, 65 okay. historically. So I'm coming at it from both ends of being like dyslexic and 
like an eye condition that yeah. eventually leads to blindness. But the saddest um, statistic that I'd seen is, uh, is, is with dyslexia is that they went to a prison population and tested how many of the prison inmates were dyslexic. Right. And it was a staggering 85% of people okay. in the prison was dyslexic because at a young age, the systems rejected them, right? You know, right. they haven't been able to study properly. You know, like they're, t- they're intelligent, but they can't do the exams. So, they, they, you know, there's an intelligent person in there, but they're kind of being made to feel like not intelligent. And yeah. that rebelling against the system continues into the life where they rebel against all of the system and eventually, yeah. you know, they take the wrong path. However, that is depressing. It does affect yeah. people in positive ways. Yeah. You do Richard Branson, who like changes the system, you yeah. know, and Alan Sugar, who will do something in, and hopefully makes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like we're trying to change the system by what we're doing. I think that's incredible. Yeah, and that statistic's actually really, really hard hitting. That it's eighty five percent. That's that's incredible. And I had absolutely no idea of that at all. Well, if we chat about it, so like in insurance terms, now I was mentioning just before about how when it comes to insurance, as I say, we talk. I, I work very specifically in the area of access to insurance. So I say I'm helping people with health conditions and other kinds of things to get insurance when they've been told that they can't or they've been facing a lot of difficulties. And we did do um, some research um, a little while ago about what insurers were doing in regards to, say, as an example, we were looking at it from this um, kind of the mindset of, you know, if somebody was blind or somebody was deaf, what would kind of be available? And, And it was actually really, really shocking to see the differences across insurers. I think there was one insurer that um, stood out for me that kind of, you know, sorry, when they were asked, they were kind of prepared to do anything and everything, you know, they're just like, right, we'll get this kind of thing in place, we'll make sure that there's, you know, this kind of documentation available, we'll make sure that if need be, we can potentially get some kind of interpreters involved, we're really, really going full hog at saying we will do, in a sense, whatever we can. We then got a lot of insurers who are kind of mid-range in a sense, so it was a case of, well, we can maybe do this, the documentation we think works with screen readers and you know we, we think that um you know if if this was happening then maybe we could try and build a system to try and accommodate something and then we did have sorry the odd one or two where they basically just said kind of like we've not even really looked at this you know and we have no idea if anything is actually set up for this way um which you know it really surprised me actually how there was such a disparity because you'd kind of thought well, we'd, I kind of expected some people to be kind of mid-range and then well, whether it would be at a certain level and then to have some that would really stand out. But we saw like a complete range of really absolute exceptional kind of responses to then really kind of like, okay, so this just hasn't even really been thought about. And with insurance, um, as with anything, we have a lot of jargon and technical documents. So when we are arranging an insurance policy, say... Probably yeah. the probably the easiest one would be say like life insurance in a sense, which is probably going to have the most minimal amount of documentation out of all of them, yeah. and um, and probably the least amount of jargon because it kind of just does what it says. You know, life insurance is going to cover you if you die, and the rest of the insurances have a lot more technicalities. Well, if this happens and if that happens, and you'll be covered in this instance, and you won't be covered in this instance, and you know you're probably talking, you know quite easily you know at least right depending upon the insurance and the insurer probably about 10 to 20 pages of 
even though it's quite simple, what's being, you know, sort of described and everything. And that would be maybe one document. So that would be what's known as the key features document. Yeah. And then yeah. you'd have the policy terms and conditions document as well. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have the policy document itself. And then if you use an advisor, you're going to then have um, what would be known as a demands and needs letter from the advisor, which will detail the recommendation. Now, again, depending upon the level of, you know, the, the complexity of the insurance that's being arranged, the amount of insurance that's being arranged and who for, that could be anywhere from something like six pages if the advisor is able to really kind of make it all nice and concise and not too technically minded. Or you could get ones that are running into 20 pages. I mean, just to the thought of that, I mean, what is it like for you in a sense to, to be potentially faced with all of that documentation, even to just get the simplest insurance policy that can be arranged? In short, um, absolute nightmare for somebody like me. Is that I'll read four or five times slower and my ability to kind of absorb information the, the longer I read diminishes. Yeah. So then I'll get bored. Um, uh, the best analogy I can give is, you know, it's like riding a bike, you know, like I love to cycle, but being dyslexic, it's like riding in like reading is like riding a bike. You know, you, you get on your, mm. you know, you can cycle for so long. Most of the time it's pleasurable you eventually get tired of reading but most of the time it's pleasurable that's somebody who's non-dyslexic whereas for me it feels like i'm riding a bike uphill all the time mm. you're tired very quickly you lose interest you know you know you, you just want to finish whatever you're doing and it, it the reason i use the analogy is because i live in a town called stanley which is is basically hills okay. <laughs> and i love to cycle and i cycle a lot but i never cycle in my hometown because it's hill everywhere you look yeah it's the same sort of it's the same sort of thing for somebody like me i'm in control of quite a large amount of spend we have 30 staff mm. um and you know we do insurance like um for our staff we do medical insurance we do you know uh, we, we do cash plans yeah and the one of the reasons that we went with how we went was the amount of assistance we got with the fact that i didn't have to read so it was a good in that, in, in that sense, it was a good insurance broker. Yeah. But if you, who I actually knew because he, he, his, his daughter here was based in our office for quite a bit and oh, trusted right. him very much. Yeah. But if, if you look into the statistics, um, the spending power of somebody with, uh, in this country, this is the UK, with accessibility needs is around about 24 billion. Yeah. So that is a massive amount of spending power, right? I'll pose a question back. Have a guess, right? How much of that 24 billion is spent elsewhere because the information or the website wasn't accessible and they went to somewhere that was accessible for them? I, I imagine 24 billion. it's in the billions, obviously. Yeah, I imagine probably I imagine you're going to get probably a mix of people who've gone elsewhere to accessible. And then, unfortunately, I imagine you get the people who just go, oh, well, stuff it. I'm not going to do anything now. I'm going to go with. Oh, maybe I'll be getting completely wrong, but I'll say 22 billion or something. It's um, it's actually 17 billion. 17 billion. 86%. So, you know, a lot of people see accessibility as we should do this because it's the right thing to do, yeah. which is correct. But they don't see the statistics that they're losing potentially up to 25% of the audience. Because yeah. if you take dyslexic, visual impairments, and English as a second language, um that's 25% of the audience that potentially will spend elsewhere because you're not putting this effort in Absolutely. and it's hidden. Do you know what I was saying before? It's a hidden disability. It's yeah. hidden. 
nobody has a concept until these. This was an independent study by the national commissioned by the National Car Rental uh, firm uh, in the UK. Yeah. Nobody has a concept of we didn't get that two hundred pound of insurance this month because the person went elsewhere because of, they had disability needs that wasn't met by our website or information. Absolutely, I, I think no, that's a really. big. It's 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 a huge business. I I do quite a bit with the charity Purple, and right. so they've got like Purple Tuesday coming and everything. And again, they always talk about the Purple Pounds. And again, into the billions, how much people and businesses are are missing out on this. And there is just it is that kind of thing. You know, you saw it say, well, there isn't just a thing of it's the right thing to do. Or if you if you're kind of thinking, well, it may be the right thing to do, but it's going to cost me a bit to get the software. It's like, well, it may do, but you're also missing out on tapping in to how much you know just how much are you missing out on there is a huge business sense um for doing something like this as well so that that survey was called uh, the click away the click away pound okay you'll find it on our website it's not done by us it's done by you know an international car rental company who's quite forward thinking in, in disabilities so Absolutely. I just I, th- I think I always find it really baffling that people don't think about stuff like this as well. And, you know, that it's just kind of uh, I don't know. And as well, because I, I think, again, going back to sort of that initial thing I was saying about people who are maybe I think deafness and blindness is something that people are really kind of aware of what well, I say really aware of. And I probably I'm sure that there'd be lots of people who maybe are deaf or blind um, accessing this podcast who probably be shouting at me saying, no, <laughs> it's really not that aware of in a sense. But I don't think people can, you know, in a sense, like we said, dyslexia is quite hidden. And I think deafness and blindness isn't something that is particularly hidden. I think it's something that we kind of would very quickly kind of understand. And um, and I think, you know, everything like with the Recite Me Toolbar, you know, the fact that the website can be um, read to you, that documents can be read yeah. to you as well, um, that you can change the way that things are look. So, you know, if somebody does have a bit of a partial, obviously visual um, impairment, they can change things. It just feels like, again, I, I kind of feel like a lot of people are just kind of, we've kind of jumped past it, jumped, you know, we were, I, I always feel from an, a young age, I was made very aware that some people are deaf, some people are blind, yeah. not necessarily that people, some people are dyslexic. I don't think I necessarily knew that as a child, but as, as a young child, I was aware of these um, other situations. And it, I don't know, it just feels like we've not even, I mean, that would have been well, probably about 30 years ago now. And it just feels like we've not really made any significant I don't understand why even 30 years down the line, we're still seeing such barriers when there's so many things like your software that would be able to, to address it for, for many people in such a quite an easy way. Yeah, I mean, when we first invented the software, it's a strange one. And one thing I've realized, I've worked within organizations where you've got to instigate a culture change. And the organization I worked in 20 years ago was... Um, had 200 staff and it took such a long time to change the culture um, and the way of thinking it was 200 people. Yeah. Now, when you're trying to change the culture of a whole country, it takes much longer. It's like a big oil tanker. It takes half a mile to even slightly turn. Yeah. And it is surprising and sometimes disappointing because when we first built the software, which is going on seven, eight years ago, I mean, this is an industry now that um, is worldwide. There's, we've got a lot of competitors in America. But a lot of them, a lot of the stuff is based on technology and based on concepts that we pioneered uh, many yeah. years ago. But even in the early days, most people were saying, this seems so simple. Why hasn't it been done? I yeah. thought this would have been invented like 10 years previous. And I was like, I know it's, it's a simple concept. Everybody should be doing it. Will you buy it? Oh, I don't know if I've got a budget for it. Yeah. 
but even when people understood it because nobody else was doing it there's a very slow sort of adoption yeah you know? but now i mean it's now it's i mean we've got we've got brands like um i'm not here to try and promote it but like there is people like british gas and tesco you know we're getting big brands taking this seriously now which is brilliant it's great to see i mean on an altruistic level it's great to see yeah absolutely and obviously kiara <laughs> obviously kiara as well our company yes <laughs> thank you very much but there's interesting there's interesting statistics like um somebody who uses the recite toolbar spends on average more time than what somebody who doesn't yeah on a, on a website so it's 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 having this interesting effect and i I really want to get in and start interviewing dyslexic on a mass scale to see how they are using it. Because it's interesting that if somebody with a disability like visual impairments or dyslexia, which traditionally would spend less time on a website than somebody who didn't have those disabilities, with the tool is actually spending more time on than the average person on websites. Yeah. But I find I find stuff like that really interesting. It is. I'm a bit of a statistics geek at the minute. I've got to add this from dyslexia and visual impairments. Well, I was going to say, I think, you know, sort of, I'm, I'm completely opposite. I, I prefer stories rather than statistics, but the statistics that you're giving out there, as I say, they are hard hitting. And, you know, and it's, it's something that I think is really important for people to, to be aware of. Can I give you some more statistics? Oh, go on, go on. I was going to ask you the next question, but you go statistics. You tell me them. Yeah. Now, I get excited about this stuff. This is exciting. Okay. <laughs> so um, just, just got like a stats update. Uh, so there was 9.6 million pages made accessible uh, by Recite in the last month. Nice. So that's 9.6%. That's 9.6 million websites that for me on an emotional altruistic side, somebody's not sitting there going, I can't understand this thing, you know, uh, my yeah. brain will not work. Uh, but from a from an organizational point of view, it's 9.6 million pages where, you know, the ultimate aim for somebody in insurance is to get somebody to buy the insurance. Mm. You've got much more likely chance of doing that if the person is staying on your website and yeah. not going this way. Uh, and 200,000 uh, unique individuals. So it just shows you how many how many pages are actually going on. So, absolutely. So I, I'm really proud of that, actually. It's uh, I'm really proud of the team, what, what the impact that will have. I think that's absolutely incredible. And I think something that stands out for me as well, again, going to like the business side of things, because I appreciate a lot of people listening, fellow people in the business like me, is that our industry is really, really heavily regulated. You know, we are absolutely, you know, if anything we do is a little bit wrong or anything, we can just be absolutely, we'll be stormed upon kind of thing. And a massive thing is that we can't arrange insurance policies for people if they don't understand what they are signing up for they must be able to understand every single aspect of it so that includes documentation that yeah. the insurers provide and yeah. that includes our own recommendations so even though you know with, so like with my team we are telephone based so you know we'll be providing advice to people usually obviously by the telephone yeah. and um, we'll be chatting through it we'll chat through our recommendations we'll chat through everything um we still then have to produce documentation as well for the person to be able to have as a record and also for us to be able to show a record of our work and and why we've recommended the things the way that they are and i think a massive thing for me is that in a sense for our industry is where do we stand in a sense if we're not making those documents 
obviously understandable straight away and and making sure that they are available in formats you know available in such a way that they can if need be be downloaded in a sense in like it's it's an mp is an mp3 or mp4 format that every site may do i can't remember but mp3 is sound mp4 is video as well oh right okay so mp3 formats that's that's just like the coding that's just like the the compression algorithm Okay. Yeah, I'm throwing your geekiness again. I run a tech company. No, 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 it's fine. It's, it's good for me to learn. I can imagine my husband there just going, oh, seriously, K, of course. It's that way. And I should be like, oh. Yeah. But no, so, you know, being able to do that in an MP3 format, you know, for people who, you know, like you say, who maybe can't read and it takes them a longer time to process things and to really kind of internalize the information. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of, I feel, almost a bit like a duty that needs to happen in many ways because these documents are for for people who don't have dyslexia for people who are you know even potentially quite academic you know in different situations yeah. they are hefty going documents you know they're, they're not the lightest of reads yeah. <laughs> um, no, i've and- got some insurances i should take out <laughs> um and I think particularly when you have uh, a company you should personally do a lot of insurances with regards to what happens yes where, where, does, it, where does it go you know what, I mean? what, what 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 assets are transferred to your family you know yeah. And I haven't done it. And the reason I haven't done it is I can't be bothered. This is a dyslexic speak. I can't be bothered with all of the reading and absorbing of information that I have to do. So if if, if we have seven, six, seven million people in the country like me, yeah. how many people are making that decision not to, just not to bother? It's something I'll do tomorrow. Yeah. You know? Um, well, that's it. that was actually going to be sort of like one of my next questions was saying, you know, for people that are living with dyslexia, would they choose to, in a sense, apply for something and maybe not really understand it i'll just think oh well it's it i've been told roughly what it is it's fine i'll just go with it and then maybe they're not understanding exactly what they're covered for so the insurance is possibly either it could be that they think the insurance is going to cover them for something which it doesn't which means they're going to be obviously significantly disappointed if something happens and they try to make a claim or maybe offer something that could really be helping them and as like a bit of an extra on top of just the the money at the end some of them offer services throughout yeah. And and maybe they're not able to access those services because they just don't even know that they're there because they've been so put off by the documentation. Mm-hmm. And, I, and obviously, whether or not they maybe do that, I'll just go, oh, stuff it, I'm not going to do it. But I think your answer, what you just said there is kind of like a perfect summary of that. You know, you've got insurances you know you need to do and you're just thinking, nope, not going to do that. I just don't do it. And, you know, it's and it's this is insurances that I should have done five years ago, right? So yeah. you've five, five years worth of premiums probably missed because, um, you know, I haven't done it because it's a choice. I can choose not to do it. Where insurance, I realized because starting this business has been a discovery of how I am and why I'm doing certain things because of dyslexia. Yeah. When you've done them all your life, you just think that's normal, but you, you, you take a step back and think. And particularly with car insurance, um, we've got two, uh, two, two different things with me with car insurance. I like to drive um, ab- abroad. So you've got to make sure that you've got the right type of insurances and yeah. You know, there's so many days and there's a third party and the likes of that. And when I get the documentation sent through, I always phone up. Yeah. So I don't elect to read it because it's too much. And I phone up and I try and be as friendly as I can because I understand I'm probably not wasting time, but doing something that I could have done by reading. Mm. And just I just blast them with questions. You know, can I go to Europe? Can I, you know, is it third party or is it full comments? Is there a limit on how many times I do that? So I'm finding a way around the system. Yeah, of course. But that's only because I have to do it, right? Yeah. If car insurance was optional, 
there's a good chance, as terrible as it sounds, I would probably not do car insurance because it's too much hassle. It's it, it's it's a, it's a strange concept to get to people, but the, the the uphill struggle of absorbing information when you're dyslexic is it makes you want to put things off. Um, I think that, yeah, again, I think that's a really powerful saying. It's just as well. I think sometimes you know, because people when you, you sometimes answer the phone, sometimes you know you could have just had a really you know as, as from someone within the organisation receiving your phone call, I can imagine sometimes. The people, you know, I imagine some people are lovely, but I imagine sometimes people are maybe a little bit abrupt or a little bit, you may hear the odd sigh when you ask the next question, yeah. um, different things like that, because they're probably not thinking about the fact that actually that there's this person here who can't read this documentation and they need me to strip out these main bits to make this easier for them, which neither of you should have to do that. You shouldn't have to ring up and ask those questions. In a sense, they shouldn't need to have to answer the questions because it should just no. be accessible in the first place. And I imagine that's not a nice situation for you as well when you are having to then actively make that choice to ring and sort of like go, right, okay, I'm possibly going to be faced with someone who's, let's face it, going to be a little bit arsy maybe with me for asking yeah. these questions. I don't want to have to remind myself that I am dyslexic and that I have to, you know, I have to have a, a change to someone else in regards to accessing these documents is I think there's so many aspects to it that that we just don't necessarily think of straight away and I think I think that's really important to to, to kind of take on board sometimes and that's why I said I always like I, I said at the start I make the person laugh or I have a so it's almost like I've got to cheer the person up to ask the questions that are probably like below their peer grade you know <laughs> it's this weird sort of like things that i you're reminded, you, you know you're asking questions that you probably don't need, the average person wouldn't ask. So therefore, I've got to make sure that the, the experience from the other person on the phone is as, as a pleasant. Yeah. So I will try and use my personality for, uh, I, I feel like I'm wasting the time to a certain extent and joke about the weather or, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't don't worry about it if you don't understand us because I've got a Geordie accent, you know, your girlfriend can't understand us half the time. <laughs> And it's something, but it's it's a strange thing. It's like a compensatory uh, move because I'm doing something because I'm dyslexic. Yeah, you know, that's somebody who non-dyslexic probably won't do. Absolutely, and I, and I suppose as well, in some ways, possibly even more so than somebody with a very clear physical disability. Because people who you know, not not over the phone, obviously, but if you, if you are in a situation where I don't know, I don't know if you're in the bank or something, you were speaking with somebody one-on-one -on -one and you're going through things, you know, if someone's got a physical disability, there'll be very clearly a need there to support the person, to make sure everything's adapted to help them. Whereas for yourself, it's that, again, that's that kind of going in in that thing of, right, I'm going to have to probably make this obvious that I, I'm not going to be able to, to go through all these documents and do it word for word myself and that I really want them to go through it with me. So, so even more, so there's probably even more of a, a need to be, really i want to say in touch but i don't, want to, I don't mean in touch but sorry really aware of the fact that there can be these different um sort of like situations where um the ability to retain the information it may not be very obvious as to us as to why somebody may need to be having that extra support but that we yeah. should give it every anyway and just make sure that we take that kind of time to just go okay maybe internally go, okay maybe this person needs a bit more support and I, it's, it's, it's the right thing to do to make sure that I offer that. Yeah, and the thing to say as well is that uh, the interesting thing about dyslexia is um, it's a different way of thinking. So the brain's built differently. So there's things that, um, it, 
there's there's a lot of things that dyslexic natural a dyslexic will naturally be be better at than somebody who's non-dyslexic. Yeah. Um. In one of the, the the two best analogies I've had is that um if somebody's an army officer, and uh, they're in the middle of the battlefield and they've got to uh, talk on the radio, they've got to see where the troops are and they've got to manage where the aeroplanes are flying, and they've also got to see where like the enemy is. Mm. That that all those streams of information, uh, a dyslexic will be able to process very very easy mm. so it's very important from a like from a dyslexic campaigning point of view is not to kind of always paint it as something that's bad or sort of deficient it's yeah. just different and in our own uh, sort of environment in certain situations a dyslexic strongly outperforms somebody who's non-dyslexic and uh, one of the interesting things is that we'd i'd done a talk and i didn't realize that somebody in the audience was one of the earliest um Apple members. All right. Uh, so, so Apple in the early days when Steve Jobs was there. And when they were doing focus groups, they had to ask and test for dyslexics because they couldn't have dyslexics in the focus group because the dyslexic was figuring out what was happening. Uh, um, oh. and, and it was corrupting the fact that the <laughs> dyslexic couldn't give an honest answer because he figured out what the person was, was right. trying to, to measure. So, so there's an interesting balance of where you know, you've, we've got to make these adjustments because, you know, can't read as well. But there's mm. there's definite definitive advantages to being dyslexic, and there's different there's, there's definitive advantages to being autistic as well. In certain environments, a person with autism will way outperform somebody like myself or somebody who's non-dyslexic, yeah. uh, particularly in like thinly focused areas. So it's a very interesting space that I think will will develop uh, in the next ten to fifteen years. I think. Absolutely, I think that's incredible, and and, um, and obviously, I'm I'm sure that uh, my team are absolutely fine in me sharing because we've spoken about it openly before. We do have a couple of people who are working with us who are dyslexic. Um, yeah. One of them, um, he is an absolute genius when it comes to computer coding. Yeah. Doesn't find reading things isn't particularly something he enjoys, you know, and it's something he has, you know, not found easy. Um, but co computer coding he can just do it. He will just sit there and code all day, every day. And he is absolutely brilliant. Um, another member of my team, Lindsay, who she's the one that often does like all the, the marketing for us. Um, she's a graphic designer. You know, it worked perfectly for her to go into graphic design. Again, kind of the computer side of things, the art side of things. And she is absolutely incredible. And she's been over the last few months, she, she joined our company and she's been learning how to do like create websites, how to do podcast editing, everything like that. And again, it's a lot to do with coding and setting things up. And, and, and again, absolutely brilliant at it and took it up incredibly quickly. You know, there was kind of like a bit of training. I did some training with her and then um, sort of like she was writing down in like her way how it all works. And then that was it. It was only just one training session. and She's gone off and just took it all over. And it's just like, well, good on you. That's brilliant. I could just leave it all to you now, which was just absolutely fantastic. So. Um, one thing I want to talk about very briefly was just options for people um, for insurance when they do have things like dyslexia or deafness, blindness and autism. And I think, you know, there's there's sort of like a number of different things that, you know, the, the main thing is getting access to even just to be able to chat to somebody about these things. You know, if, if someone knows that they're going to find the documentation difficult and it does put them off, you know, maybe choose a route where you are going to be able to speak to someone and you're going to be able to get that support. They'll be able to talk you through all the main bits and they'll be able to help you. 
Um, dyslexia in itself, probably in many insurances, doesn't necessarily, in, in the protection side of things, so this is where we're talking life insurance, critical illness covering and protection, dyslexia doesn't necessarily really come up as a question. If yeah. it was something where someone was having like lots of um, interventions, like seeing the GP regularly or seeing somebody like in a professional capacity regularly to talk about adjustments and different things like that, it yeah. may be something that comes up in the sense of, oh, have you seen a, a GP quite regularly or had to have like um, reviews with somebody? Um, but the majority of the time, it's, it's, it's not going to probably be anything that even comes up in the, in the questions at all. Yeah. Um, when it comes to things like maybe deafness, and I'm covering these very specifically because obviously with the things that would um, the Recite Me tool back and really help with, it's, it's the reason I'm covering these. But with deafness, the main things the insurers would probably be asking about that is if it's kind of got any kind of relation to things like... Um, uh, something like like an acoustic neuroma if someone's had something like that and it's caused deafness or if it's maybe been tinnitus that's led on to, to full deafness or other situations it's just mainly kind of establishing why the deafness is there um, mm. but again the majority of the time unless there's been something like where there's maybe been a tumor or something that has kind of impacted upon that the hearing side of things the majority of the time having deafness isn't going to have any kind of a significant impact the only thing that I would say is and it kind of seems like a bit of a a silly thing but on something like income protection insurance um there would be a deafness exclusion to the income protection insurance which it kind of seems a little bit daft that it's there in some ways and yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know because if they're working if they're deaf and they're working then surely the deafness isn't going to stop them from working because they're already yeah. working with that adaptation to, to not being able yeah. to hear but it mm -hmm. is one of those things from an insurance technicality wise that someone may see so again i, I think that that's a it's one of the things that I don't think we can get around in a sense. Sorry, you're going to say something. It, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because obviously, um, you know, insurance is based in, uh, entirely on risk, you yeah. know, so you're assessing risk and somehow somebody who's done the, the, the calculations has assessed that deafness is, um, is, is associated with a higher amount of risk. We're not a, we're, we're not a litigation culture. However, uh, there's a potential that there was, there, there'll be a need to, there'll probably be a need to understand on some level that you know there is legislation that's that that says you can't you can't have different options for people who are, are because of the disabilities of course so how you know that would play out in a court of law um it, it's playing out a lot in america at the minute because since the new uh, disability act in america come out mm -hmm. um you know america kind of has yeah. very 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 active legal system let's just yes. say yeah um, a lot of that is you know the, the definition of whether that's right or not is, is fought out in the courts. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's given people a definitive guide of, yeah, you can do this, but we can't do that. In the yeah. UK, we don't really do that, which is great because, you know, you know we're not yeah. as much of a litigation culture, but we haven't got the same sort of guidance in that say. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of like picking, it's up to individual organisations to pick what they feel is right. I think, yeah, with that one, I don't know if I'll have it, to, but maybe I've not explained myself fully with that one. So I'll try to explain it again in a kind of way. So what, they, what the insurer would say is that if you are already deaf, yeah. then in a sense, they wouldn't, they wouldn't cover deafness from stopping you being able to work in your current job because you're already working, obviously. So it's, it's, it's kind of the thing with these insurances. So, so it depends well, it depends upon the insurance. Life insurance, you don't tend to get exclusions on. The others you can do. But say like, um, as an example, if I went for income protection insurance, I have hypermobility syndrome, which means that I am 
Um, it's not happened for a long while, touch wood, but I'm more likely to have breaks and sprains than somebody who's not got hypermobility syndrome because my, my body is, every single part of, in my body is inherently more bendy than someone else. So what they would say to me is, right, because you are, you, because you are already have this condition, yeah. if you have this insurance, you can potentially have this insurance, but we're not going to cover you if you have a claim relating to your um relating to your existing condition so i know that there's obviously there's a big discussion about the, the equalities act and and different things like that as to to what is is and isn't okay to say when it comes to insurances um but i know for say like um when it comes to a lot of the insurances especially at the moment that that would be for some insurances especially to say like especially income protection it is kind of more normal that if you have a health condition yeah. that you would it see yeah. it's, it it's going to be excluded yeah. so it'd be I, the I, same sorry go on i know many years ago maybe so four or five there was a question and one of them was uh do you have any undeclared disabilities or something like that? i can't remember what insurance it was for yeah and um i i don't think i went with that insurance because they asked that question yeah because not out of like i can't believe they've asked that question it seems sensible but by law, you technically don't have to. Um, you don't have to reveal yeah. your disability. So if you go on an interview and you don't reveal your dyslexic, yeah. it can't be used as something that against you later down the line. Absolutely. Um, is a is a way again. And I was like, well, I know the law says I don't have to reveal that I'm dyslexic. Um, but, but is I that going to cause me an issue? Yeah. I don't know if filling this this in will cause me an issue, in in a different sense under contract law or anything like yeah. that. But so I didn't go with the uh, insurance. No, I can very really imagine you didn't. They, they don't tend to ask questions um, so specifically like that now. So with insurance now, they're like, they have to ask specific questions. And if they don't ask the question, then it's not your job to tell them something that they haven't asked about. And the applications and that that we see for all the, the main insurers, especially, they wouldn't say, do you have any undisclosed disabilities? Not for the, not for the ones that's, um, that are generally um, available in the market now. So that's good. So basically, you're not going to be soft. Like no one's going to say to you specifically, directly, do you have dyslexia? And then, you know, kind of go on from there about it and different things like that. It's, it, that's not what happens. But similarly with them, so like the blindness side of things. So if somebody was to want to have certain insurances, you know, again, um, they're not going to... Also, a good example here for this one, and I should have used it as well for, for the deafness one as well. So say like critical illness cover. So becoming blind is something that is covered on a critical illness policy, which means that if you have the critical illness policy, so say like if I take it out, critical illness policy, and I become blind in three years time, say, I will get a great big whammy chunk out payments um, for being having become blind. So with a critical illness policy, what would happen is if someone is blind, they would there would be a blindness exclusion on there because what they're doing is, is they're sort of like saying, the insurer is saying, well, you can't take out the policy. You, you're already blind. So you can't take out the policy today and then claim for blindness tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that makes logical sense. Yeah, yeah. That is, that's kind of what they're saying as well for the income protection side of things that I was saying. It's, you know, there's, there are certain situations, unfortunately, where people will have, um, you know, sorry, the yeah, potentially you an exclusion. Yeah, you, yeah, on the other side of that, you could get people, you know, that was taking it out and then automatically getting the payouts, you know. And exactly. Like, so that's I mean, the reason it, that they have them there. There has been cases as well. Was it British basketball where um, sure. a lot of them we were getting? Um, I think a lot of the bas dis disabled um, 
Paralympic basketball team. And don't quote me on this. So, okay. Um, but I'm not going to say right. A, a certain sports teams. I don't know okay. which one it was. <laughs> but there's a prominent sports team that played for Great Britain. Okay. And they were allowed to get a lot of things without VAT, like cars, because yeah. when you have a physical disability, you don't pay VAT on cars. Yeah. And then they were selling them on a pro- at a profit. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh no. Money. Yeah, and the story broke, and you probably find it in the news. Uh, I'll be looking for that. Oh, yeah, that'll be a <laughs> look at. I mean, but... On one side, it's quite entrepreneurial, but maybe it's the wrong side of entrepreneurial. Yeah. <laughs> it was working smart in some ways, <laughs> money smart. Um, so, so, so there's that. But then obviously there was, we've mentioned autism as well. So autism is something that would often um, probably come up in, in sort of like the insurance applications. And I think what the important thing is, is to make sure that, um, that when people go for the applications that they speak to someone that they feel confident with that's supporting them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I've been speaking to somebody um, a little while ago and and they're on the autistic spectrum and yeah. they, um, uh, they retain information much more easily from speaking. So yeah. what I'm doing is, you know, instead of sort of, whereas usually we kind of do, you know, if you can with people, we all try and live in email updates and you know, obviously, yes, we speak with people. I'm trying to obviously personally avoid sending lots of email because I want to make sure that I'm speaking so that it's easy for them to be able to retain the information that I'm, I'm saying. But there used to be a thing sometimes with autism, um, which I didn't like, where sometimes um, it would come up. And this, this again goes back to the things that you were saying as well, um, is that sometimes it would say, oh, you know, you'd maybe put this forward. This was many years ago. They say, oh, I've got somebody and yes, there's a disclosure that they're autistic. And the question would be, okay, so what's their IQ? And that used to really get to me because I would think probably a lot higher than yours in all fairness. Yeah. You know, the, the IQ is going to be, it's just like, well, where do you want the IQ for? Do you want it for their particular area where they are absolutely, you know, probably almost like a savant or do you want it in the areas like a traditionally like maths or English or science, like the traditional routes, you know, it's, it's very difficult because at the end of the day, insurance wise, we work off an insurable interest. So if somebody is autistic and they have a mortgage, they have a family and they want to protect them, then that's no different to someone else who's in that exact same situation who isn't autistic. You know, yeah. and if that, you know, there's, there's lots of things that come into it as well, but I'm, I'm, I am pleased to say though that the insurance industry is becoming and it has been for many years, much more open to the fact that, you know, there are health conditions. It doesn't stop people from living. It doesn't stop them having families, mortgages working. And um, there, there is a lot more openness, you know, to, to people in, in all kinds of situations. So I'm, I'm really pleased that, to be able to say that. And I hope that anybody listening, um, possibly from your side of things, um, it possibly hopefully takes that on board and doesn't feel that they need to, to put it off for too long to chat to people. Yeah, it's, it's all about understanding and education, you see. Um, and if somebody who is autistic or dyslexic or visually impaired has somebody to speak to that understands what that means, you know, because it means very different things. Uh, uh, that That is kind of like the... Uh, that's that's where I kind of like... It, that's it. Is it the hacienda the right word? <laughs> Just like the, <laughs> I don't know what the right word is, like the paradise, but you know... Yeah. If organizations are trained to the point where they understand what it means, you know, so it's not like, oh, this person has a disability. It's like, right, the person's dyslexic. We'll have to probably adjust the information yeah. in this way. Uh, or just the, uh, if somebody's autistic, we'll have to just adjust the conversation in that way. Yeah. I mean, it, like, incidentally, uh, we're probably going to put a job advert out or specifically look for somebody 
uh, probably in the next, it's not going to be immediate, probably in the next year, year and a half mm. of somebody who is autistic nice. or somebody who is on the spectrum because the inherent advantages that, that they, they give yeah. a person, uh, it would be pointless and, po- and, well, not pointless, but I'm going to use that word for effect, but it would be yeah. pointless employing somebody who isn't on the spectrum. Yeah. That, does that make sense? And yeah, that, of course. that's where we need to switch the conversation is that, yeah, they can't do this, but they can do this much better. Yeah. yeah, they're much more stronger in, in, in other areas. Absolutely. But pick, picking up on your point where you made about IQ. Yeah. So even the IQ tests are, 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 are built predominantly for people who are not autistic. So mm. there's a scale. On one side, there's autism, and then yeah. it slides along. And then you get people, the vast majority of the people in the population is this area, which is not considered either. Yeah. And then you get to the other side, which is, is dyslexic. You yeah. Know, and the person on this side who who's autistic or on a spectrum will probably have a propensity to process one inf- one bit like one stream of information. Mm. That's why a lot of people on the autism scale uh, don't like like can't be outside because it's too much streams of information. Yeah, sight information, the sound information, it overloads the brain. Yeah. However, put that person on something that requires concentration on one thing, that person outperforms everybody. Yeah. The center, we don't have to talk about because that's the average person. But if you go into the right-hand side, dyslexics tend to process about four or five things mm. at the same time. So, ladies, you're not the only people at the moment. I'm dyslexic. Oh. <laughs> a little joke in there. But, um, so, so, you know, there's a scale, right? Yeah. And somewhere on the scale, there's going to be a job task that is best for a person, person that is either here or is either here. It's really hard put my finger like, I know. <laughs> but, um, and, and on the IQ test for example I was bored I was about 20 you know I think I was still trying to figure out you know like why I mean I've done well in my GCSEs but why I really excel in some things mm. and then all of a sudden I can't do exams so I was like yeah. trying to figure out what my intelligence was most people that met us felt like I was intelligent but I wasn't really translating into exams I've done, I'd done um, a test by Mensa oh yeah done, so it's for the top 1%. Yes. And I'd done that test and it was an online test. And uh, I passed to the point where I should be uh, able to join Mensa if I did that test. Oh, very okay. nice. Yeah. And I'd done another test. All right. And I was the like the 40th percentile, which let's just say it's very, very low in talk. Yeah. And it was it was based on the fact that it was the type of questions that they, they asked. And some of the questions that were very English based and some of them were even around like rearranging words and spellings, like you, like what you'd get on a countdown conundrum. Yeah. Um, I would be considered very, very unintelligent, but if they left them things out, I'd be to the point where I could, I could apply for Mensa if I wanted to and done the, if I'd done it in an official way. Yeah. So it just shows like even the measurements of intelligence is not really fit for purpose no. when you consider all people on the scale. Absolutely. No, I think you're, you're completely right with that. And that's, that's some brilliant examples there. Thank you. So the time now for you to just kind of tell everybody now about Recite Me, what it is that it does. I know you've already provided some stats and everything, but just tell everybody in a sense what it can do on the websites and, and how it can help people. So the, the main aim for Recite is, is, to, is to make websites and information as inclusive as possible. So if a person that is dyslexic, visually impaired, English as a second language, simply just doesn't really like reading um you know it, it we allow the website to be customized on the website to that person 
So it's all about content customization. So for somebody like me who's dyslexic, um, I have uh, I, I will read more if the website is read out to us and spoken to me. I will also read more if I change the background color to yellow and the text blue. Now, sometimes not the best to look at if you have a hangover, but it does make me stay on the website more often. Um, and the key is the website does this, right? The, the information provider in, in sort of like the spirit of the Disability Discrimination Act is making the adjustment to allow somebody like myself who normally can't really access the information in a way that's right for me to do it. So it's all about individualization and content customization and making that, that, that website accessible. Um, it's done with a couple of lines of code and it pulls our software in. Installation time is like five, 10 minutes. It was going to say it was really quick on our website, getting it Yeah, up. it was really, really quick. And then all of a sudden, right, your, your website's open to this untapped audience that potentially is spending 17.1 billion somewhere mm. else. You know, um, there's, there's certain things that we don't cover, uh, like full blindness. You know, you still need software on your computer. Uh, and, you know, the website needs to be built towards WCAG accessibility standards. We always promote that. We never say, don't build your website to a certain standard. We always say, build your website the best standard. You know, and accessibility, which is often referred to as a WCAG standard of coding that allows mm. computer software to interact with it. Yeah. Plus, Content customization, like ours, uh, makes your website inclusive. Yeah, um, it's the right thing to do. But this sounds like a sales pitch. I need to point out I, I ain't a salesman. I started the company, but it's the right thing to do. But it's also um, financially, it's it's like crazy not to. It's like twenty five percent of your audience can't access the information. Yeah, an independent study has already said eighty six percent of people are spending it elsewhere. Yeah, you know, seventeen billion. It's it's Absolutely. insane. Um, so it took a long time for people to, everybody understood the concept, but now um, it's becoming very popular with massive brands like Tesco and, and British Gas signing up. Um, and it, it's good to see that, you know, we're probably heading towards a more inclusive internet. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it, it, to be fair, it's been pioneered by a British firm. I think that's important to recognize as well. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a, that's a brilliant thing to, to sort of end it on as well. So uh, we're going to do our truth or lie feature if that's okay because we're coming yeah. towards the end so this week um, we're going to be doing talk about our favorite halloween films i'm actually doing um, at the moment on twitter a world cup of halloween films um quiz and um, so it's like every day we're having a poll as to which one is our favorite films until we get to the final final knockout rounds but um i'm going to say that my favorite halloween film is interview with a vampire and what would yours be ross mine is beetlejuice beetlejuice Remember that one? I absolutely love Beetlejuice. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant film. You see, I can't say anything because people have got to guess whether to choose or not. So, thank you everybody for listening to me, and thank you, Joss, for for uh, Joss. I just called you Joss, didn't I? Thank you, Ross. Thank you. I'll start that one again. Thank you, Ross, for joining me. Thank you. Uh, so, so next time I'm going to be speaking with Alison Essen from AIG. I'm going to be chatting about smart health services there, which are just sort of like um, 
some some brilliant things, extra services that are available with some insurances on top of all the kind of the payouts, which is what people usually think out when they get these things. I'm also going to be chatting a little bit about their recent critical illness cover updates. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website www.practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that if you're listening and this is part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too. Thank you, Ross. And thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.